Gary Parish. It's Monday, March 18, 2019. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and it's currently 12.21 a.m. Eastern, late on what was Selection Sunday. The bracket is out, so let's dive right in. Norlander, first, some general thoughts on the bracket. I got two questions for you. One, did the selection committee get the number one seeds correct? Two, did the selection committee get the right 68 schools? They got the one seeds correct. I have no issue with it. Michigan State has an interesting case. It's the two seed in the East. Weirdly, it's the two seed in the East and would face the number one overall seed in Duke. Um, there is no true S-curve. NCAA selection committee long ago got rid of that practice. Um, you wonder why maybe Michigan State and Michigan couldn't have been flipped. I have not... Listen, it's been a, a, a tremendously fun Sunday night here, but you did CBS Sports Network. I did CBS Sports HQ. Hope that our listeners can watch CBS Sports HQ all through the week because we're going to give you picks continuously. If you love the podcast, please seek us out on CBS Sports HQ. We will be with you early and often. The point I'm making here, though, is I have not looked at the bracket in terms of the, like, okay, was there a reason why they didn't send Michigan State to the West and they didn't send Michigan to the East? That was a little bit weird to me. But the one seeds, I have no issue with it whatsoever. This is, as I'm sure a lot of listeners realize, only the second time ever. One conference has had three teams on the one line. The Big East did it a decade ago with Pittsburgh, UConn, and Louisville. So I don't have a problem there. As for did they get the 68 uh, right teams in the field? I don't have an issue with it. I'm glad we got at least one mid-major. You, like me, thought Belmont was the most likely of the mid-majors. They had the fewest losses. They had the best quad one and quad two record. They did not have the best net, net ranking. They didn't have the best strength of schedule. And as we detailed on previous podcasts, there were interesting cases for the other ones. But Belmont, I thought, was the sturdiest of them all. They get in at the expense of TCU, NC State, uh, and some others. I, I thought it was right. I was not right. So I thought Temple, and Temple's in. They're going to play Belmont. I thought Temple would be out. I thought TCU was going to get in. The only interesting note with that is Lipscomb, which had a, a mid-major distant chance, it, it, its big win was over TCU, and TCU didn't even get in. So those teams almost cancel each other out. So uh, my broad takeaway, Parrish, is that I look at this bracket, I look at the teams they put in, how they seeded them, a couple gripes, we'll get to that in a minute, but the, the ultimately the teams that got into the field, I'm pretty good with, and I was thinking about this on my drive home from CBS Sports HQ studio here in Connecticut back to my house. I remember, you know, 2005, 2008, 2012, even like 2014 and 15, um, to me it seemed like the the level of anger and volume over the teams that were getting in and weren't used to be uh, they used to be uh, more aggressive, I guess. Uh, to me, I I don't know, and I'll be f fully disclosed here. I did not spend any of my night on Twitter, which was the first time I had experienced a selection Sunday without Twitter since, frankly, like 2010 or so. Um, so if there are certain things that have kind of caught people's attention that have been talking points, I'm completely oblivious to that. Hopefully that'll help make this podcast relatively fresh because I don't have uh, certain narratives and themes and talking points been rattling around that I've been seeing. But it doesn't seem like uh, there's too much to, to nitpick with the committee. With a few things that there are, I know we'll get to in a minute. Um, I do think that's an accurate assessment. There, there's not a whole lot to nitpick. I, I do think this is uh, usually there's outrage about something, and there doesn't really seem to be outrage about anything except for you know from uh, the athletic director's office in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, NC State feels like it got snubbed, um, and uh, in an unfair way. I just 
with all due respect, uh, disagree with that. You know, I, and it's not even based on their terrible non-conference strength of schedule because as we've talked about before, I don't care about non-conference strength of schedule. Uh, I think when you play in a league like the ACC, or really uh, no matter what league you play in, you have to ask yourself one question. Are we, with the schedule we're going to play from November through March going to have an opportunity to build an at-large resume. Um, and by definition, if you are an ACC team, you are going to have an opportunity to build an at-large resume based off nothing more than your league game. So I, I've never understood why the committee wants you to schedule aggressively in the non-league if you're in a league like the ACC, because you can build a resume without it. But I do understand that maybe there's a larger point there. Like, we just want you to schedule aggressively because we think it's better for the sport and we will penalize you if you don't. Uh, either way, I, I don't. I would not keep NC State out because of its non-conference strength of schedule, but I've got no problem with NC State being kept out. I think I made that point um, uh, last week. Um, you know, I told those guys when they were in studio with us tonight after the bracket was revealed, whether it was, you know, the Duke AD Kevin White, who's on the committee, Dan Gavitt was in studio with us, David Warlock was in studio with us, and I told them, I said, I think you guys did a good job with the bracket. And I didn't just tell them that because they were standing in front of me. Like, I didn't have to say anything. Um, I think they got the four number one seeds exactly right. You know, I, we talked about it on, I believe, Friday's podcast. And I told you, I, I thought there was a scenario where Duke could end up not only as a number one seed, but as the overall number one seed. Now, I didn't play out exactly like I thought because I assumed they'd play Virginia in the championship game. And I just thought ACC tournament championship game. And I just thought if they went 3-0 and against Virginia and had the record they had with Zion, that was going to be enough to make them the overall number one seed. Um, but even after they beat Carolina on Friday night and we knew they weren't going to play Virginia, I still wrote then Duke should be the number one overall seed with one more win in this ACC tournament. So I wasn't surprised by that. In fact, I had the four number one seeds on sa Sunday morning in this order, Duke, Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee. And I wrote on Sunday morning that if Tennessee lost, then Gonzaga should get the fourth number one. If Tennessee won, Tennessee should get the fourth number one and i was told by somebody let's just say connected to the committee that they were thinking the exact same way had tennessee won the sec tournament uh title game tennessee would have been a one seed and gonzaga would have been a two but the second tennessee lost gonzaga took that fourth number one so i thought the the four number one seeds were not only right i thought they were in the right order um i thought the 68 schools were right too i i, I don't want to act like i'm a bracketologist because i'm not but I did have all six schools. Stop, stop, Do we have evidence of this parish anywhere? I mean, you could ask anybody who was in studio with me tonight. I mean, like Jerry Palm or Amy Salmonson, anybody. I mean, you could ask Jerry. I had, I, and let me be clear about what I did because I, again, I don't want to act like I'm a bracketologist. On Sunday afternoon, this is what I did. I took the top 25 and one, and then I filled out the rest of, you know, and I just did it by seats. Here's my ones. Here's my twos. Here's my threes. Here's my fours. I got through the top 25 and one, and then I went through the rest of the teams and then I got to the bubble um, and Jerry Palm and Joe Lenardi I believe both had the same 68 schools when their brackets finalized and what I decided is I'm going to have Bel neither one had Belmont in and I said I want Belmont in because I really do think there's a case there because we made the case last week and I said I'm going to put Belmont in the field I think they're going to put Belmont in the field and now I just got to find somebody to take out and I took out TCU. That's all I did. I, I, I went to, to Jerry's bracket and I said, I agree with everything here, except I think Belmont should be in. I'm going to put Belmont in and take somebody out. And the team I took out was was TCU. 
Um, and I thought it was an easy it was easy to recognize. Um, TCU was three and nine in quadrant one opportunities. Belmont was two and two. TCU was nine and thirteen in quadrant one slash quadrant two opportunities. Belmont was five and three. Now Belmont had two quad three losses, and those are bad, but still, um, Belmont won sixty three percent of its games in quad one, quad two opportunities. Same scenario, TCU only won 41% of its games, and then there wasn't much difference between them in the computers. TCU was 48th at Ken Palm, Belmont was 54th, TCU was 52nd in the net, Belmont was 47th. So Belmont had a higher winning percentage in Q1, Q2 games, and a higher net ranking. I I put Belmont in, took TCU out. It is, I swear, on all my children's lives. Um, I had all 68 teams right, obviously not seeded correctly, but I had the four number one seeds exactly right in the 68 schools. Um, exactly right. Perhaps I am a bracketologist. You know, maybe I'm selling myself short. Well, you also called yourself a doctor earlier this season. That didn't quite work out for you. <laughs> um, so I and I so I really do think that I didn't hear any outrage anywhere. Um, I mean, there's little bitty things, and we'll get to them next. But in terms of, I can't believe this team got left out. Or how in the world did this team not get a one seed? Or what is this team doing on the one line? There really wasn't much of that. You you were right. The reason you didn't see much of it is because there wasn't much of it. Well, okay, that's that's a refreshing thing. Now, my before we kind of move on and discuss, uh, you know, little gripes here, one thing I have a curiosity with, and I haven't been able to figure out if this is true or not, but just something I was mulling also on my drive home, Um there were, in terms of where some teams landed on the seed line, there were some surprises. I think that was inevitable. Um, it feels, Parrish, to me, it feels like uh, the collective bracketology community is getting more accurate with predicting committee behavior. Now, I thought this season that would not necessarily be the case with the net. I thought that might uh, potentially uh, throw some people, but. When I was checking uh, earlier on Sunday, and it looked like the the number of of, uh, of of bracketologists that were you know that had variance, and by variance I mean all right, well this you know TCU, Bama, Creighton, Texas, Indiana, NC State, Clemson, the team, you know, Furman, uh, Greensboro, the teams that didn't get in, it didn't seem like um, it was a scattershot plot. Okay, it seemed like. There was a lot of agreement on about 66 out of 68 teams. That has been the case for years running now. So I don't have anything to uh, to prove this is right. I'm not even sure if this is the case. I I can't help but wonder if um, if we have influencing uh, the the general bracketology community is influencing the committee or not. I hope it's not. I don't think it is. But I would love to know if you're an NCAA tournament selection committee member. If, first of all, it's hard to avoid Jerry Palm and Joe Lunardi's presence at this time of year. What they're predicting of the first four in, the last four out. That you can't avoid that. But are they actively seeking out bracketmatrix.com? Are they looking at other brackets? And if they are, is that influencing the way they are picking? I hope it isn't. If I was on the selection committee, I would do my damnedest to not see any of that stuff because I would not want it to influence the way that I thought. I don't think necessarily that is the case, but I think it's a bit curious in that the bracketology community seemed fairly accurate in predicting what the committee was doing. Maybe that's just because they're all really good at their jobs, but I felt like there were more moving targets this season and we were going to get less reliability and that was not the case. I do think that the committee is influenced by maybe not the bracket community in general, but 
but certainly the the big mainstream brackets. And and I think the two biggest are are Jerry Palm and, and, and Joe Lenardi. You know, somebody did a project on the Politex column and the top twenty five and one, maybe it was last year or the year before, but they found real evidence that and I'm not saying this for any other reason that I'm gonna make the same point about the selection committee. They found real evidence that I do impact the AP poll. What I write in the top twenty five and one, um, you know, the Politex column combined with the top twenty five and one uh, impacts the AP poll. And when I when I read that and I was like, yeah, well, I could see that because I I am putting out rankings every morning and not all AP voters like maybe most of them don't care at all about the column or me. But certainly there are some who go, you know, geez, I just don't want Parrish calling me out on Monday afternoon. So, you know, if he says that uh, Wofford now ought to be in the top 25 and one, I guess I should put Wofford in the top 25 and one. And I do think this is this can be similar. I, I can't speak for every committee member, but, you, you know, Dan Gavitt is really plugged in to to the college basketball media community. He knows what I'm saying and what you're saying and what we're tweeting, and, you know, and, and, and same goes for, you know, uh, Mike DeCour. You know, it's not just us. It's Mike DeCourcy or, or Rob Doster or, you know, any of the people who have jobs like we have covering this sport. Um, and then, um, you know, David Warlock is obviously active on Twitter, so he sees what we're tweeting and hears what we're saying. And I, I know that maybe it would be best if they just – blocked everything out but that seems so unnatural to me i don't know why you wouldn't be curious to know what other people think or what other people are saying when you are about to in a very public way um present a bracket to the world and so i I don't know that they should listen to us or people like us but i do think that that it's not crazy to think the bracket the projected brackets and the conversations connected to them have some, maybe just a small, but some influence on the actual bracket. I think it has. I think they should listen to us. I think the fact that the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee has evolved the way it has over the past decade is largely because of the way the college basketball media community has pushed them to that point. I think it's been necessary, but I don't think that they should listen to us completely entirely. I don't think that's been the case and shouldn't be the case going forward, but I do think the analytics of all of this has progressed to a point where very smart people that are involved in this um, have listened, changed, got rid of the RPI. If it wasn't for the media, I think the RPI would still exist and it doesn't and I think that's a really really good thing so uh, good gains here it's not a perfect bracket it never will be and that's perfectly fine so having said that GP let's get to what these guys messed up well I, I don't know that they really messed up anything and I mean that sincerely like it's a hard job that they have and I think they did it about as well as they could do it this season evidence being again there wasn't a whole lot of social media outrage but if you want to nitpick a little bit and this is just something, by the way, I understand. They don't care about this, but it's something I wish they cared about. Um, you know, Tennessee's the two seed and might have to play Cincinnati in the round of 32 in Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Kentucky, the two seed, might have to play Kansas in Kansas City in the Sweet 16. I, I you know, and some people will say, well, what? how's that different than Duke and Carolina always getting to play in Greensboro or whatever? Here's why. Duke and Carolina are usually two of the best teams in the country, and they're not going to be lower-seeded teams playing higher-seeded teams with home-court advantages. Um, that's not the case here. You know, Tennessee is going to be a higher-seeded team 
playing what might look and feel like a road game in the round of 32. And Kentucky is going to be a higher-seeded team if they get to the Sweet 16 and Kansas gets to the Sweet 16. And I know Kentucky fans travel like no other. They could probably like book the thing at, at, at Allen Fieldhouse and somehow Kentucky fans would still be like 40% of the crowd. But I, I hate that. And I know they, they don't worry with that. But to me, that's always been a flaw with the bracketing process. When you have like top two seeds um, you know, playing – what what could be road games against lower seeded teams, and so that stood out to me. Um, I don't like Michigan State being stuck with Duke. Yeah, I, you know, I, I I think Michigan State is the team that got squeezed out of the ones. It it, it I I think the committee had them as f- number five. I've got them in Monday morning's top twenty five and one. Also number five. I don't think you should be. And I know this is the way they do it. The S-curve doesn't exist anymore in a true form. But I, I just think if you are the number one, if you're the best two seed, you shouldn't be stuck with the number one overall seed. And then, like, I don't know, Cincinnati I thought was seeded lower than I would have them. Um, I, I would have them like a five. They're a seven. But if you told Mick he could be a five and be somewhere or a seven in Columbus, I bet he'd say, I'll just take that seven and stay in Columbus. So um, these aren't the biggest things in the world, but they're, they're things that exist and they're things I if, – if you put me in charge, I, I'd change them. Yeah, just a few nitpicks here. Um, I agree with you on Cincinnati. Well, listen, if you look at Michigan State, Cincinnati, Villanova, these are teams that won their conference tournaments and – I love that body of work is the biggest thing, as it should be. But sometimes it feels like they shortchange, in particular the Sunday results, and that wasn't the case here with the SEC, by the way. Uh, Tennessee drops. Auburn rightfully jumps to a five. Uh, I definitely think Auburn has no shot at a five if it loses to Tennessee in the SEC championship game. That wasn't the case. But what was weird was <clears throat> Villanova's a six. I don't quite get it. Now, the reason why that might be, is because Villanova had a sub-500 quad one record, um, but it rated better than Marquette, and Marquette's got the better seed. Marquette's a five, Nova's a six. Nova won the Big East tournament and a regular season. Um, Marquette is worse in almost all of the six-team metrics. It might be worse in all of them, actually, now that I'm looking at it, and that is the case. Every single metric on the team sheet, Villanova rates better than Marquette in, and yet Nova gets the six. They both get to go to Hartford. And so <laughs> good on Villanova as a six seed. Um, St. Mary's has to fly across the country. Uh, I'll see those teams. I will be at Hartford on, on Thursday, so I'll see them. Uh, so Marquette, I, I don't know. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Also for Hartford, uh, Vermont gets to go to Connecticut, and it's the 13th seed playing the fourth. Now, you know, Vermont fans aren't going to take up 40% of the building or anything like that, but um, but sometimes I think these things are also hard to avoid in that there are a lot of rules and principles in place, and eventually I think just no matter what you do as you're trying to keep teams near seed lines, and oh, by the way, um, the, uh, David Warlock, who's in charge of uh, communications for the NCAA and runs the statistics, he is uh, forthcoming about this stuff. If he has said it or tweeted it, I have missed it because I just I have not I've not check, checked my feed here. When a team that you think should be on one line and ends up on another, sometimes something will force that, and they're transparent about that. So if we have anything with any of those teams, as of us recording this podcast, apologies, I just haven't seen it. Um, that stuck out to me a little bit. I don't have a ton of 
of nits to pick other than that, and that, that's a great thing. To me, Nevada's not a seven. I don't think they deserve anything close to that, to be honest. I, I know why they're a seven, but I don't think that they are of seven quality. The reason why is they lack top-end stuff on the on their resume, and I wasn't surprised to see them there. Liberty as a 12 was vexing. Um, if you really take a gander at Liberty's profile, GP, I'm not quite seeing how they won out for the 12. I think you could have had New Mexico State. New Mexico State is a 12. Apologies. I think you could have UC Irvine um, have fought for that spot. They didn't get there. Even Vermont, I thought, uh, if you really t- you know put them next to Liberty, uh, there wasn't that much difference between the two. But otherwise, I, I don't really have a, I have a ton here. Um, we didn't have too many bid thieves, but they did get snatched. And, and you know, it's forever a mystery on, in terms of who would have gotten those. And just as a quick side note, if these were the teams that were involved, the, the NIT one seeds are Greensboro, Indiana, TCU and Alabama. Oh, well, let me stop you for a second. It's not a mystery. Um, the Kevin White told us on CBS Sports Network that when Oregon became a bid stealer, Greensboro got cut. Oh, he they said that. Okay, so there we go. Oh, that's, that's a bitter pill to swallow uh, if you're a Greensboro fan. But also good to know that the committee was putting an emphasis on Greensboro's performance against the rest of its schedule because Greensboro was the only at-large team that did not have a quad two, three, or four loss. I thought it was worth strong consideration. If I had my druthers, I would have put Greensboro in over St. John's. St. John's was the lowest-rated team in the net. It still got in. And uh, my quick thing on the net here, uh, you had all sorts of teams, like teams that were rated highly, didn't get in, like Clemson, NC State, uh, there were some others, and then low-rated teams like Arizona State and St. John's did get in. I think that's a good thing. Um, the NCAA, even though it put all this money into it, it's saying just because this is our official sorting tool, it is not going to be the absolute arbiter of how we select and seed. I think that is a beneficial thing. I think that's a major thing people were looking for in the first year of the net, and now we have the baseline, the lowest-rated team that has ever gotten into the field as an at-large, St. John's at 73. Um, hard to figure how a lower-rated team than that will ever get in, but I put nothing past the committee going forward overall I thought the net had some but not overarching influence because if you look at the way certain teams were seated and, and selected and others weren't um, some were high in Kempom, some weren't some were decent in strength of record, some weren't and I really got the sense that the committee did its homework, it paid attention and gave credence to all the metrics as it should and that's why I think you have not only a bracket that doesn't have a lot of critiques with it, if you really look at these regions and I understand that Midwest seems to be the strongest, I don't think that there's a super weak region and I don't think that there's a super strong region, each of the quadrants I think is fairly balanced. Um, one thing before we move on on the Marquette Villanova note that you made with Villanova being the um, outright league champion in the Big East, Big East tournament champion, and yet getting a lower seed than Marquette. I agree with you in the sense that I think that's wrong. I would have Villanova um, seeded better than Marquette, but I bet you the committee it, it focused on this. Marquette is 10-5 and five in quadrant one opportunities. Villanova's 5-6. and six. And so one team um, performed really well against um, – you know, in in the in in their biggest opportunities, and the other team performed below 500 in those opportunities. Again, I I don't think that should be the deciding factor, especially in a, a balanced league where you play a true round robin. Um, I, I would give the edge, and I know they don't care about that. As you know, it's a total body of work. Like I I get it. I I, I still think total body of work, especially taken into account. And I know they don't care about how you closed, but I do think how you closed probably should matter. Marquette's not playing well right now. Um, I would have Villanova seated better than Marquette, but again, 
Um, not the biggest deal in the world. Might be the Villanova fans, but certainly not to me. Um, just to put a bow on it, um, you and I agree. Uh, the committee did a good job. Um, they, I think they got the seeds right. I mean, the one seeds right. They got the 68 schools right. And now we'll let the, uh, the teams decide it on the floor. Okay, um, I figure the most organized way to do this is to just take the bracket region by region. So we're going to do that next, starting with the East. But first, check this out. It's the State of Combat Podcast, the Brian Campbell. And while fight season may be on hold for the foreseeable future until Tony Ferguson and Habib Nurmagomedov touch gloves at UFC 249, the SOC is still moving along. Two to three episodes per week to give you that combat fix. What can you expect? The same great interviews with the biggest names in the fight game. Maybe a little bit of a fun oasis from the crazy world around you. Instant reactions to the biggest news stories. It's the SOC, available on Apple Pods, Stitcher, Spotify, and anywhere fine audio is found. Tell them BC sent you. Hey everybody, it's Frank Stanfield from Fantasy Baseball Today. Don't worry, Adam Azer isn't going anywhere, and neither is FBT. The MLB season is delayed, but that just gives us more time to deep-dive players, argue about rankings, and find this year's Cattell Marte. Regardless of what format you play in, Roto, Points, Keeper, Auction, Dynasty, we've got you covered. We're here for you five days a week, so make sure to download and subscribe to Fantasy Baseball Today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. So we're going to take the bracket region by region, starting with the East Regional, which is where Duke sits as the number one seed, the number one overall seed. We could have a father-son athletic director showdown in the round of 32. That's Kevin White's Duke Blue Devils against Danny White's UCF Golden Knights. It would also be, if we get that game, Coach K against one of his uh, best players, um, best former players, obviously, and his former associate head coach, Johnny Dawkins. We've got Richard Patino against Louisville in the round of 64. <laughs> Belmont will play Maryland if it can beat Temple in Dayton. Michigan State's the number two seed in the East. Norlander, just your thoughts on the East Regional. Okay. Mm. Let me charge up here because this right here, what we're about to do, is my favorite 30 to God knows how many long minutes this is going to be. I know we got to get to bed at some point, and I'll try and keep it quick, but I want to give the listeners a lot of this stuff because I know you guys are really hungry for it. We love doing it for you. Let me run through this region. First of all, how about the selection committee? North Carolina Central against North Dakota State. You know why that's funny, GP? Do you know why that's funny? I do. Do not because know why Lavelle that's Moten said on the record the only oh, yeah, team. I, of course, I saw that. The only team I have zero interest in facing. I will not BS you. I'm not going to be phony about this. I want no part of Zion Williamson and Duke. That's like me playing my six year old in one on one. And what do you know? NCCU, if it wins in the first four, is going to get Duke on Friday. Committee, that was just straight ice cold. I don't know what Moten has said in, uh, in light of the bracket being like this. Uh, he could be quite entertaining. He is certainly uh, unfiltered to a certain degree. If they're able to win, I-, I do want that. I want NCCU versus Duke because I think the Lavelle Moten pregame press conferences and potentially even the postgame will be very, very much worth it. Um, I don't love the 8-9 games this year. I don't hate them either. I think... Uh, uh, they're they're good. They're okay. Uh, usually they've been they've been better than this. In this particular one, I li- I like Central Florida more than I like VCU. But 
This is the vintage H9 game where I'm convinced that whatever team I pick, the other one is going to win. Mississippi State Liberty is weird because I think Mississippi State should almost definitely win that game, and I'm thrown by Liberty on the 12 line. Uh, I would go with Mississippi State there. It is it is absolutely the team. If you look at the ones, the twos, the threes, the fours, and the fives, the most unknown team that's a good team in college basketball is Mississippi State. Ben Hallen gets the program back to the NCAA tournament for the first time in a decade. Good on him. They've got really good guards. I think Mississippi State wins in that case. Um, I'm I'm not overly uh, you know I'm am not over the moon with that 5-12 game overall. And then Virginia Tech, the big news there, Justin Robinson is going to be back. So I am uh, I'm excited to see what Virginia Tech can do if it can move along and scoot along to play Duke. Remember, Virginia Tech beat Duke without Justin Robinson. That could be a potentially really spicy Sweet 16 game. And then on the bottom half of the East bracket, which if you're looking at it or trying to picture it in your mind, that's top left of your bracket. You've got Maryland awaiting the winner of Belmont Temple it, uh, on CBS Sports HQ with me Tim Doyle, former Northwestern player Evan Daniels, the insider for 247 Sports uh, we were on with Chris Hassel it was the Belmont Love Fest and we didn't plan it like that but they got in the field and we all like Belmont to beat Temple and I think two out of three of us liked Belmont to beat Maryland there it feels like they're getting way way too trendy um, and I, I believe the our bosses allow us to uh, tweak our picks here within the first 24 hours after we have to submit them after they go live I'm gonna ha Belmont might be too trendy I might have to uh, do the unthinkable and I hope Rick Bird will possibly forgive me but I'm I don't know I gotta think that through LSU Yale that's just a let's see what LSU looks like kind of deal without Will Wade um, I think Yale's got a decent ch a decent chance there uh, Louisville Minnesota is the first game of the tournament in the first round. 12-15, Richard Pitino going against his dad's former school. There is obviously a, a certain spiciness to that. And then Michigan State-Bradley is the other game there. I don't think Bradley has any sort of chance. Michigan State should win that easily. So that's a, that's a quick look at the first round matchups in the East. But I want to give listeners just an idea, if you don't have the times, on that Thursday, it'll be Minnesota-Louisville, Yale-LSU, New Mexico State-Auburn, and then Vermont-Florida State in the first TV window. We'll get to some more of those games, but as you get ready to prep, that is a very, very strong first window on Thursday. Uh, you know me. I love storylines more than I love games or matchups, and you just you, it's hard to get better than Richard Pitino coaching against Louisville. I mean, when, we, when you talk about um, most interesting things that are going to happen on Thursday, Friday, to me, Richard coaching against Louisville. Remember, it's not just his dad's old school. Richard was an assistant coach there as well. You know, Richard lived there, and um, and you know, and, and and settled there for for a while. So, I just think that's tremendous. Uh, let me ask you this: I, 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 the committee has always um, insisted. I believe they don't, them. They they don't create these things; they just happen. Do you believe that? One hundred percent, I believe it because. Yes, I do. I, I believe it. I, I know that there's some people that will never believe it. Um, two notes on this. One, Richard Pitino coaching against his former school and his dad's former school, while it's juicy, it has no like super mainstream appeal. Like The average person that's into the NCAA tournament is like, oh, are you kidding me right now? We have, we have Richard Pitino against Louisville? Oh, my God. Get everyone over to the house. I can't believe it. No. Not even close. What is, the, what is the truth about all these matchups and these brackets is you have so many coaches that have connections to either other coaches, other schools. There's one that's under the radar that people don't even realize, like Gonzaga. Mark Few, one of his best friends in the, in the profession, 
is Jim Beheim. No one's going to really talk about that because it's not as out there as, like, say, Coach K and Beheim being, like, super tight buddies and all that stuff. You can't avoid this. With the amount of job change there is in the sport between head coaches or, you know, if you are a prominent assistant or a former team, it is unavoidable. I actually am surprised we don't see it more considering how often those things can kind of bounce off each other. So, no, I, I believe that it just – the matchups fall where they may, and if it happens to be a good TV matchup, maybe they don't fight it, but I don't think that the committee seeks that out. I mostly agree with you. I don't think they seek it out. I don't think they go, you know what would be you know what would be good if we had Richard Pertino coaching against Louisville. So let's like figure out how to make that happen. I don't think that happens. I think they stumble into things and then they're human. Again, these are humans. And they go, Ooh, let's let's leave that right there. Could you see that? I could see that. I, yes, if they if they stumble into it and it's yeah, I mean I think that's also certainly a possibility because undeniably this is uh, the best sporting event in America and it is a heavy television component to it and it's, at the no, it's of, a television show yes yes it's a, it's a three week television show and that's that's great TV yeah no doubt do you want to so do you want to uh, what do you want to do here you want to march through the well, east or you want to keep yeah going I don't want I don't want to spend a whole lot of time breaking down each game in, in hypothetical games but I do want to bounce through the bracket and okay. and predict while we're going through each regional who we think is going to be our regional champion. So I'll go first here. Okay. Um, I've obviously got uh, Duke winning easily uh, in the round of 64 and the round of 32. I eventually have Duke meeting Virginia Tech in the Sweet 16. Uh, down at the bottom, I'm going to have uh, Maryland beating, doesn't matter, Belmont or Temple. I've actually got Maryland beating LSU, and I've got Michigan State. Uh, I got Richard Patino beating Louisville. And again, I don't even know if that's my prediction as much as I just think that's the, that's the neater story. Like a Patino beating Louisville is kind of the neater story. So I've got Minnesota over Louisville, but eventually losing to Michigan State. So my Sweet 16 in the East Regional would be Duke, Virginia Tech, and Maryland, Michigan State. I've got Duke beating Virginia Tech, Michigan State beating Maryland. So I do have, and you probably better get used to this because my bracket's going to feel a lot like this i've got the number one seed against the number two seed and i've got duke beating michigan state in what should be a a, a really fun basketball game between two hall of fame coaches i've got duke beating michigan state in the elite eight to advance to the final four all right, so I have Duke versus Virginia Tech in the Sweet 16, and I thought long and hard about having Virginia Tech win the, in the upset there. I thought there was a decent chance. that I still think there is a decent chance that could happen. I couldn't bring myself to do it, but I got really close in the aftermath of all that, but I passed on it. I've got LSU moving on. I think LSU is going to get into the Sweet 16 and kind of extend that storyline. I think we're going to live with that for a little bit there. Um, and I do have Michigan State in the Sweet 16 against LSU. I take Sparty like you. I think this will be, when I look around at the rest of the bracket, GP, to me, this seems like, I think this seems like the surest fire, most common one versus two matchup that the public will pick. And part of that's because Michigan State's the strongest two. Duke is the strongest one. Um, you have Duke moving on. I have Michigan State moving on. What? Did you not see Zion this weekend? Oh, I, I saw him. I have I listen call I I am not going to go back on my word and my word was that I was not going to pick Duke to go to the final four I said this earlier in the season they can get there but it's not terrible it's actually it's great value to pick Michigan State Duke is fallible it can be defeated it is relying on four freshmen who are incredible Duke looks amazing the tournament can be just this fickle funny 
amazing thing. Why not? Best two seed on the board. Trey Jones versus Cassius Winston is a fascinating matchup. I think Michigan State has enough there. It has the offense. I'm going to take Sparty to come out of the East. Okay, so in the East, I've got Duke coming out of it. You've got Michigan State coming out of it, and we will um, we'll get back to that conversation a little later on. For now, let's move down to the West. Um, uh, this is where Gonzaga is the number one seed. Michigan is the number two seed. We got Marcus Howard against John Morant in the round of 64. Could have Nate Oates against his old boss, Bobby Hurley. If Arizona State beats St. John's in Dayton and advances into the main bracket, might have Michigan against Nevada in the round of 32. Uh, what stands out to you in the West Regional? Um, I think it's probably the most unpredictable, but it's also pretty interesting. Uh, Syracuse-Baylor is fascinating because Syracuse is the tallest team in college hoops, and Baylor was the shortest team in the Big 12 and the best rebounding team in the Big 12. Uh, two zones, uh, two three zone versus one three one, and we had Scott Drew on CBS Sports HQ. He talked about that. Talked about how he's going to have to study up. He also thinks that both teams will be well prepared for this game, and it should be a well played game. Baylor is sliding. They have not played well over the past two weeks. We'll see how they can do there. That, by the way, is a late tip on Thursday out of Salt Lake City on True TV. I'm fascinated with that one. I'm intrigued. I am extremely excited because I get Marquette, Murray State in Hartford. That means I get John ja Morant. I'll be on site there. I, I can't wait. That is going to be a Thursday uh, 2.30 window out of Hartford on TBS. I'm excited for that game because Marcus Howard, John Morant, I think, GP, that is the best head-to-head -head matchup that we have in the first round. I think uh, you've got one of the best college basketball guards out there in Marcus Howard and then the best point guard prospect uh, in, this, in this sport. And frankly, John Morant has a case of being the best guard in college basketball. I, I cannot wait to, to watch that game. I, I think it's got a, a, a great potential. And then before that one in Hartford, a 2 p.m. tip on Thursday will be that Florida State-Vermont matchup. Now, Vermont is a really good team. It's got Anthony Lamb, who I think has a real shot of actually winding up on an NBA roster one day, but Florida State is loaded with dudes. I hope that one's close. We'll see. You're going to hear and see a lot about Sorrentine from the parking lot because Vermont gets to play locally as it did when it won as a 13 over a four-seed Syracuse in 05. I feel like a lot of people are selling some Buffalo at this point. They get a six. I would have put them as a five. It is what it is. They're going to play the winner of Arizona State, St. John's. Uh, I'll just make the pick here, I guess. GP, I'll take Arizona State to win that, and then I think Buffalo is going to win. Here's another one. Buffalo, coached by Nate Oates, who used to work for Bobby Hurley when he was at Buffalo. So there is another one of those uh, storylines that are out there. Literally said that five minutes ago. I, I, listen, I'm, I'm on a roll. Just let me go, okay? okay. <laughs> just, let, just let me go here. Um that uh, that Buffalo versus the winner of those games is in the second window on uh, on Friday. They'll be coming out of Tulsa and it'll be on TNT. And then Texas Tech versus Northern Kentucky. I think I we're gonna be in HQ all day Monday. We're already getting notes from our producers. Um, what is the I got asked? What is my against the spread lock? I've got Texas Tech covering against Northern Kentucky as my as my lock of all the first round matchups. I think Texas Tech uh, beating a good NKU team. I think that's the biggest lock. And then at the bottom of that, Nevada versus Florida. Not a lot of people are going to be taking Florida, and I start to worry about that kind of stuff. But I and I'm going to be right there with it. I will take Nevada. That's a 6:50 tip. It'll be the first dinner time tip on TNT out of Des Moines on Thursday, and then Michigan versus Montana. I briefly perish before you get to your picks. I briefly thought about taking Montana, but I think I took them either last year. I think it was last year, 
It completely blew up in my face. I'm not doing that again. And so that's my first impressions. I'll just give you my Sweet 16 real quick. I've got Gonzaga eventually facing... Oh, boy. Do I even know at this point? Is Gonzaga facing... Have you not filled out your bracket? I did fill out my... Dude, I filled out my bracket in, in a fog. I think I've got Gonzaga facing... GP, I'm looking at it like Florida State. It is Florida State because I didn't have the guts to take Murray State. So I've got Gonzaga, Florida State, and then I've got... Texas Tech, although I wanted to take Buffalo, I didn't. Texas Tech, and I have Nevada beating Michigan and those four teams in the Sweet 16. I've got three of those teams in the Sweet 16. I've got uh, Gonzaga and Florida State both advancing. I've got Texas Tech beating Buffalo in the round of 32 to advance to the Sweet 16. I've got Michigan beating Nevada, and I I had always just assumed I was going to have Nevada going deep into this bracket, but... As big a fan as I am of of that collection of players and what Muss has done there, that team hasn't. Somebody tweeted this the other night. I can't remember who it was, but they were like, "They just it feels like they're missing something. Like something's just not right with the team." And when you combine that with the fact that you know Jordan Caroline didn't play in the last game, and he is expected to play, but if he couldn't play this weekend, how healthy is he going to be? You know, when I, does Nevada play on Thursday or Friday? But like, whatever day it is. Like, if he couldn't play this past weekend, how good is he going to be to go uh, when, Thursday, when Nevada opens the NCAA tournament on on Thursday? Um, yeah. So I ended up taking Michigan there to get to the Sweet 16. I've got Nevada beating Florida, but Michigan beating Nevada. So my Sweet 16 is Gonzaga, Florida State, Texas Tech, Michigan. I've got Gonzaga and Michigan advancing to the lead eight. And I've got Mark Few making his second Final Four in his career, I've got Gonzaga playing Duke in one half of the Final Four. I have Michigan State playing Gonzaga as well. Gonzaga is the second team uh, at Ken Palm. They have been uh, the second team at Massey in a number of metrics for a while now. But I actually have – I've got an all-West Coast love fest here. I am going to take a chance. I was big and bullish on Nevada in the preseason. I'll ride with this. I'm going to trust the must-bust to get it going and find a groove. I have Nevada over Texas Tech, and then I have Gonzaga over Nevada. Um, the West usually gets a little bit funky because by its very nature of how the college basketball map shakes out, you do not have a lot of good teams on the West Coast, or really, if you want to say, uh, you know, the Rockies West. And so you have this here again. We could have a total hodgepodge, but that's what I'll go with. I'll go with two teams from leagues that are uh, that are outside the major conference designation fighting for a chance to get to a Final Four, and I've got Mark Few getting back. So you've got a Final Four on the left side of the bracket of Michigan State against Gonzaga, and I've got it Duke against Gonzaga. That's right, right? That is correct. Okay. Uh, we will revisit this momentarily. Uh, for now, let's go to the South Regional, where Virginia is the number one seed. Tennessee is the number two. We could have, as I mentioned, Tennessee against Cincinnati in Columbus in the round of 32. I've actually got a couple of big upsets in this regional, but before we get to them, what's interesting uh, from your perspective in the South Regional? Uh, save the Gardner-Webb jokes. Virginia's going to win. Actually, let's do a quick over-under here. I don't know what the line is. I don't have it in front of me, but I'm going to say over-under Virginia wins by 28.5 points. What are you going to go with? Uh, over. I think they're going to 
I think they're going to come out focused and start that game something like 18 to 4. I agree with you. I am I'm with you on that. Uh, Virginia wins. The 8-9 game is Ole Miss Oklahoma. This is by far the least intriguing of the 8-9 games. It's a 12:40 tip on Friday on True TV. They're going to come out of Columbia and Ole Miss has done a great job. Great on Kermit for getting them into the tournament. Good on Oklahoma for getting there without Trey Young. Oklahoma the only team that didn't play a quad four game this season. So if you looked at Oklahoma and thought, why is that team on the nine line? It's because the back end of the resume had no games, period, let alone quad four wins. They clearly got rewarded for that, I think, at least with a seed line there. Then you move on down, Wisconsin, Oregon, GP. I'm hearing a lot of Oregon uh, backing here. In fact, I think the Ducks are now favored in this game. It's obviously a 12-5. It's going to be in San Jose. Uh, so I don't know if maybe the geography helps a little bit with that. It's going to be on TBS. It's in the it's the last game of the second window on Friday. I like Wisconsin plenty. Um, two different styles, and I, I think Ethan Happ will play well, but that's feel. When I look at the 12-5s, GP, I think Murray State or Oregon are going to be the most popular ones, but I'll ride Wisconsin there. I do like Irvine over Kansas State, which is the next game as we scoot down there. I think that Irvine, that's a 2 p.m. tip on uh, on Friday on TBS coming out of San Jose. Irvine is the second oldest team in the tournament to Nevada. Got 30 wins, got a good coach in Russell Turner. Kansas State, I don't want to just completely disregard what they've done, Parrish. What they what they did in winning the Big 12, finishing it tied atop the standings, really impressive. You know, the Dean Wade situation seems to be... Um, unreliable, and you want to have fun with your bracket. So I'm going to take Irvine. I feel like that is the best combination of realistic Cinderella candidate that's not super trendy. Wake me up, I guess, in the middle of Monday, and maybe I'll wind up being wrong about that. I get Villanova and St. Mary's, as I mentioned previously, in Hartford on Thursday. I'm excited for that. St. Mary's is going to have to travel a long way. I saw, as I got home, um, I saw that uh, the SVP, uh, the Sports Center, they had St. Mary's actually had, uh, among the top four most likely upsets among games separated by at least five seed lines. I'm not seeing that. That's a Friday night 720 tip on TBS. I think Villanova wins and wins comfortably. The other game in Hartford there that will be the late tip is uh, is Purdue versus Old Dominion. Um, Purdue, I think, will win, but I have to note just real quick here that Old Dominion to even get to this point um, is great. Jeff Jones has been fighting his second battle with prostate cancer. Great story out of Old Dominion. They're the 14 seed. Uh, they come out of CUSA. That'll be a TBS Hartford late tip on Thursday night. Intrigued by that. And then Cincinnati is misseeded, and I feel like they're getting they they deserve to be favored and getting the credit. But Iowa's got some. They've got some offensive ability. Can they get on the right track? As you build out your Thursday and Friday and looking forward to what you should be keeping an eye on, this is your first tip of Friday. I love a good 10-7 tip right as lunch is getting going. Iowa-Cincinnati out of Columbus on CBS 12-15. Get yourself prepped after what will, I'm sure, be a, a dramatic and tiring Thursday. And then Tennessee versus Colgate. Uh, that I that is I would almost say that Tennessee has got nearly as good of a chance to win its game by as many points as Virginia. Um, not all that compelling there. In fact, I don't like any uh, aside from maybe Montana, Michigan. I think the ones and twos are set up to just to just stomp through there. South is a lot of fun. Parish. Uh, my last takeaway before you make your picks. To me, when I look at who is standing in Virginia's way before and only only Tennessee, if it can even get there. I don't think Virginia has a lot of necessary resistance or relative resistance in this bracket, of course. Team lost to UNBC. I get all that. But when I look at the teams and how they're built and how they play, I actually think Virginia is set up with a decent walk to the Elite Eight. Um, 
first things first, uh, you mentioned that you think Oregon is now favored over Wisconsin. That's true. Wisconsin opened at minus one, I believe. And at this moment, Oregon is uh, – no, Wisconsin opened minus one and a half. At this moment, um, Oregon is minus one. So the money came in. Um, that, that Something moved that line. And so Oregon is now, as a 12 seed, uh, a favorite in that 12-5 game, which I think people – uh, anybody who follows this stuff even somewhat closely understands 12-5. Uh, we have had a long list of 12-5 upsets over the years. What's interesting is that this one won't actually be an upset in Las Vegas. Um, Oregon is favored, at least right now, to win that game. Hilarious, you mentioned UC Irvine. Okay. I got UC Irvine winning, uh, beating Kansas State as well. All right, buddy. I love it. Tell me why. Okay. Well, uh, first off, we don't know what Dean Wade's going to be. And... He is super-duper important to what Kansas State does. I mean, he's missed eight games this season. You know what the record is without him? Five and three. Mm. Kansas State, yeah, you know, co-Big Ten, Big 12 champs, five and three without Dean Wade. So let's say Dean Wade um, is unavailable or even limited. That changes them. Dean Wade is also Kansas State's leading rebounder. Well, um, UC Irvine's a great offensive rebounding team. So that's a problem. Uh, they're also 30-5. and five. They beat St. Mary's at St. Mary's. They got a 16-game winning streak. You talk to college basketball coaches, they will tell you Russell Turner is a great basketball coach. I think Steve Forbes at East Tennessee State tweeted it the other night when uh, Irvine got its automatic bid. Like I think it was something as simple as, you know, Russell Turner's a ball coach. And that's the ultimate compliment coaches give to other coaches like that guy can really coach ball and so if you're gonna look for upsets in your bracket anywhere i think you need to look for places where one team isn't what it normally is isn't what it otherwise would have been isn't what it used to 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 earn the seed that it got and kansas state right now might fit that description as well as anybody um, I think Bruce Weber on Sunday said that he, quote, hopes to have Dean Wade available. But, like, that doesn't sound good. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, you know I, I decided to, to roll the dice on it. I've got Irvine uh, beating Kansas State. You ready for this? i got Irvine then beating Oregon. I've got UC Irvine in the Sweet 16. Am I crazy? No, you're not, cra- you're not crazy. I love this. I feel like it was last year, but maybe it was the year before – you had a few absurd ones, and it completely blew up in your face, which is great because you know what? This is part of it. Like, how I I absolutely love the twelve to sixteen hour afterglow of the bracket. Now we don't get to sit and stew and overthink it. We got to get these things out, so we lose a little bit of that magic of just you know what? Keep it in the oven, let it bake a little more. But in absence of that, this is how you get GP put in Irvine in the Sweet 16. It is not outlandish uh, by any means. Uh, that is absolutely possible. I didn't have the guts to go that far. Is that your – okay, so just tell me, break me through the rest of your bracket here in the South, GP. Is that your only significant upset, or do you have another team like advancing a round further than they might expect uh, in this particular region? I got St. Mary's over Villanova. You too? Okay, so explain to me why you think that this is going to happen. Because uh, – both Villanova and Marquette, and I don't even know that I think it's going to happen. I just know that if you're going to look, for you spots, have the pick. You think it's you literally think it's going to happen. You pick the game. Oh, I don't pretend to know what's going to happen. <laughs> I just, um, you know, I, I I try to have informed opinions about what what might happen, and then and then it's a basketball game. 
Like if anybody was good at predicting these things, um, you know, they'd be a bazillionaire. It, it, this isn't easy to do. Um, but if you're looking for places to take upsets, um, I think St. Mary's over Villanova is a pretty good spot. They're obviously playing well right now. Villanova has been all over the place this season. Like Jay had to rebuild that thing into a good team two different times because everybody knows they got off to a to a rough start. But then they also, in February, just last month, went through a stretch where they lost three in a row and four of five. And so I understand that Villanova is the sixth seed. Villanova's playing in the Eastern time zone. St. Mary's has got to go you know, clean across the country. But this is a Villanova team that has lost to Furman, that has lost to Penn, that has lost to St. John's, Georgetown, Xavier. If you can lose to those teams, you can lose to St. Mary's. Go Gals. You can go Go Gales. No, you you definitely can. And St. Mary's, they, they, you know, it's a Thursday game, but they didn't give them an early tip. They're going to have a decent shot there. Okay. So, and, and, oh, by the way, for everyone listening, one, you absolutely need to be doing your bracket games at CBSSports.com. You can also go to Sportsline because we've got different kinds of bracket games. Bracket tips. The promo code is PRESS, P-R-E-S-S. Please seek that out. I promise you, be it on your phone app or whatever, if you are trying to organize uh, a gathering of your friends and making bracket pits, CBSSports.com and the CBS Sports app, it is, this is not just a company push. It is straight true. It is the best app by far to do all that stuff. Please get involved in that. And as you do, yes, you will see on your phone or your smart TV or your tablet, GP and I talking to you all through the week on CBS Sports HQ. We want to fulfill those needs as much as we can. Here are my picks in the South. I've got Virginia. I won't even I'm not even going to drag this out. I've got Virginia coming out of this region. I feel an allegiance to Virginia in that I kept them at number 1 in my power rankings for more than 70% of the season. I still think that this is the best team in college basketball. It's not just my opinion, it's the opinion of multiple metrics. In fact, four of the six metrics on the team seat still rank Virginia as the number one team in college hoops. I will stick with them in writing a beautiful story a year after getting UMBC'd. They make the final four. I've got them playing Tennessee. I don't have a lot of uh, a lot of nuttiness in this. Uh, I think Tennessee comes out. Villanova will play well. I've got Purdue versus Tennessee, though. And then I have got Wisconsin making it to play Virginia. That will be, you know, let the jokes fly about how it's going to be tough to watch that game, whatever. Um, I, I do like Virginia to move on there. And then Tennessee to ultimately get to the Elite Eight. But Tennessee has been skittish. I didn't like the way it looked in the SEC title game. I don't really kind of get that. Admiral Schofield disappeared, but I'm going to count on him and Grant Williams to bounce back strong, make a good run there, and it, I, I always can't stand myself when I look up at my bracket and I've got number one Duke versus number two Michigan State and number one Virginia versus number two Tennessee. Those are the only two regions where I've got the one versus two. I have to go with it here because I still like Tennessee a ton. Only five losses, but I'll take UVA. So that means, yes, I've got Duke a one. I've got Michigan State a two, sorry. Uh, Gonzaga a one and Virginia one in my final four. So I already told you that I had UC Irvine in the Sweet 16. I do not have them beating Virginia in the Sweet 16. So you know I got Virginia uh, in the Elite Eight. I took St. Mary's to beat Villanova, but had them losing to Purdue in the round of 32. So I got Matt Painter in the Sweet 16, and I got Tennessee uh, coming out of that. I hate that they might have to play Cincinnati in Columbus, but I still think that um, you know Tennessee is – they've been in some hostile environments this season, you know, at Kentucky – um, at LSU, 
they haven't won every game, but they've never been overwhelmed by the moment, except for like in the SEC tournament title game on Sunday afternoon against Auburn when Bruce Pearl just ran them off the court. But I think they were just spent. I mean, I really do think that they just they they everything was into that Kentucky game the day prior, and they just they didn't show up on Sunday. But that's really one of the few times this season that they did not show up. I don't think they'll be overwhelmed by whatever environment they find themselves in i've got tennessee advancing uh to the sweet 16 beating purdue so i've got a regional final but i mean uh yeah a regional final between virginia and uh, tennessee and i've got tennessee beating virginia i had thought for a while that this would be the year tony bennett gets uh to his first final four and obviously it still can be they are the favorite in the regional the one seed in that region but um I didn't want to take all one seeds, and I really love this Tennessee team, have from the very beginning of this season, and so I decided to go with with Tennessee because keep in mind this is a Tennessee team that with a neutral court win over Auburn on Sunday would have been a number one seed itself. I've got Tennessee beating Virginia, Tennessee in what will be the school's first ever Final Four, at least on the men's side. All right, good deal. We move down uh, to the Midwest then. Um, I guess I'll just run through this. There's a few things I want to note on this particular bracket, GP. Uh, one, I do think it's the deepest and the toughest, but I don't think it's significant. I don't think it's you know overwhelming in that regard. Um, so from the top on down, North Carolina, Iona, like just I, I don't expect that to be all that uh, difficult of a game for North Carolina. Um, I, I, Utah State, Washington, so Utah State's twenty eight and six, Washington twenty six and eight. That one I, I, I'm intrigued by. That's a uh, that's a Friday night tip at six fifty on TNT. I think Utah State is going to win. I think Utah State's the better team, but with Washington, like if you put those two teams uh, on the playground and just said, you know what, run your guys out there, play ten times. I feel like Washington would win more often than not, but that speaks to how important coaching can be, and Mike Hopkins is a very good coach, and uh, Washington has been an up-and-down team. Frankly, their performance in the Pac-12 title game is baffling. Um, I thought they were actually going to be so bad they were going to slip to a 10. They don't. They will play in Columbus, by the way, alongside North Carolina. And then how about this? So you get to Salt Lake City, and it's got Auburn, New Mexico State, and Kansas Northeastern. Auburn wraps up its SEC tournament. It's got to fly out to Salt Lake City, and this happens to a team almost every year. It's got the 130. Uh, it's got the 130 tip. That's Eastern on TNT against New Mexico State. Not a not a forgiving turnaround at all there for Auburn. Just c- keep an eye on that. It'll be what 12:30 on their local clock time. I don't think the committee did Auburn any favors. And then oh by the way. If Auburn and Kansas win, it's kind of the all-FBI second-round game. I don't know if people have picked up on that. I'm guessing that they have, but uh, but there you have it. If uh, Kansas and uh, the Jayhawks are able to get through and Auburn is able to get past New Mexico State. But guess what? I've got New Mexico State winning. Really good team, 30-4. and four. Chris Jans is doing a great job there. I think they're going to move on. At the bottom half of the Midwest, the other two pods are Tulsa and Jacksonville. So in Tulsa, you're going to have – Iowa State against Ohio State. That is a Friday game um, on TBS. And you've got Houston against Georgia State. Uh, That will be the first game uh, on TBS. So that will be the 720 tip. And then Iowa State, Ohio State will follow that one. I don't think Ohio State has much of a chance here. It was uh, it got into the field and just dodged going to the first four. Thankfully, it beat Indiana to get itself safe. Iowa State's been inconsistent, but... 
five of the six best players in that game are on Iowa State's roster. So Chris Holtman's a really good coach. And, yeah, I mean, if he does it, I can see us talking about it on the pod later in the week. Like, can you believe what Chris Holtman's doing? But Iowa State should win that game. In a second, in a seven-game series, Iowa State should sweep Ohio State. Wait and see on that. Houston against Georgia State. We did have Kelvin, Kelvin Sampson on CBS Sports HQ. I asked him how he felt about being a three-seed going against a 14th-seeded Georgia State team because we've seen how that ends before. Baylor got knocked off uh, by Ron Hunter uh, and his son RJ a few years back. I do like Houston in this spot. I'm a big-time buyer on Houston GP. Um, so keep an eye. That's a 720 tip on Friday. And then uh, down in Jacksonville, uh, you've got Kentucky against Abilene Christian. That's a that's a 7-10 tip on Thursday. And then here it is. You've got the seventh-seeded Wofford Terriers, who should have been a six, but whatever. Not, not a huge nitpick from me. Going up against the 10th-seeded Seton Hall Pirates, who have played very well as of late. They didn't quite win the Big East Tournament, but they're looking good. Miles Powell. I, of course, have to take Wofford. And then... Alonzi, I'm going to take Wofford to beat Kentucky. I don't know what I'm doing. I hope I don't regret this. I'm going to just stick with this, whatever. They have paid off in a big way for me. Alonzi, I'm going to take Wofford to beat Kentucky and move on and make the Sweet 16. Uh, I think this Midwest region is really, really good, though. When you've got a team at, uh, like Iowa down at the 6, Houston is 31-3. and three. They're on the 3 line. Utah State, I think, is the best of all of the 8 seeds. And then Kansas has been underwhelming, but it's Kansas. And they are a 4 seed. And then you can't uh, underestimate how strong on the 12 line New Mexico State is. I really, really like a lot of what, what the Midwest region offers. So the Midwest Regional is North Carolina's the one seed, Kentucky's the two. We could have a Kentucky-Seton Hall rematch in the round of 32 if Seton Hall can get past your Wofford Terriers, uh, the 11th seed in the Midwest. Uh, Northeastern and Colonial Luca, my little homie, Vasa Hashtag CAA Luca. I did, that on, uh, I did that on HQ. No one knew what the heck I was doing, but I did it just for you. Yes, yeah, Colonial Luca. Um, so I've got – I do have Wofford. I, have, I, I felt like I owed it to Wofford because of how dismissive I was of Wofford back in November, I felt like I owed it to, to them to have Mike Young win a game in this, uh, in this bracket. So I do have Wofford over Seton Hall, but I've got Kentucky uh, getting past Wofford. But I don't think it's crazy. Like, Wofford is good. Um, you know, you and I both know some of the coaches in that league. And, like, to a man, they'll tell you this. You know, Wofford is a, is a, is a high-level basketball team that could compete – um, with 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 in any league in the country in this particular year, maybe not that last season, maybe not next season, but this team um, is is very very good, and so that's a scary round of thirty two situation uh, for Kentucky, but I still think Kentucky gets past it. Um, I I like you've got Washington over Utah State. Unlike you, I've got Auburn over New Mexico State, and I've got Northeastern over Kansas. I did it. You did it. See. The, I genuinely, GP, I respect the way that you keep me on my toes every single year and that you offer up at least one upset pick that I just don't think there's any you have any business making because I just don't think it fits your personality and what you do. But uh, having said that, I'm just now realizing you called the CAA final on CBS Sports Network. So <laughs> That's so all that, it is. So recency bias. Yes, there we go. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I saw him up close twice, and now I'm – and I, I found CAA Luca. I found the Luke. I found I found the Luca Doncic of the Colonial Athletic Association. Vasa so Pushika, by the way. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. Vasa Pushitsa. CAA Luca. Um, like if you want me to be serious for a second, they shoot like forty six percent of their field goal attempts from beyond the arc. Northeastern does, 
and they make like 39% of them, which ranks top 15 in the country. So they are um, top 22. They're 22nd in the country in um, in their percentage of their field goal attempts that come from beyond the arc, and they make three-pointers at a rate that ranks in the top 15 in the country. Simply put, they shoot a bunch of threes and they make them. And that can be scary, right? I mean, that is exactly how you upset a team that's got better athletes, that's got better players. You 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 shoot a bunch of threes and you make a bunch of threes. Like, I don't care how much better on paper one team is than another. If somebody's going to take 26 three-pointers and make 40% of them, you're in trouble. I agree. I, I I don't discount Northeastern's chances. Kansas has been an underwhelming team much of the season, uh, but I will ride with KU there. Um, Auburn KU for the for, you talk about storylines just for that alone. Uh, can you imagine if Auburn Kansas and LSU had been somehow in the same region that uh, that if, what if Auburn and Kansas they're, they're going to play the whole game on a wiretap? Yeah. <laughs> the lock <laughs> the locker rooms you, are going to be wiretap. You yes. won't, you won't be able to watch it. You'll just have to listen to it on a wiretap. Oh, okay. Wouldn't so that be a fun game. It's like Kansas against Auburn, but we're not gonna. You can't watch it. You have to listen to it on a wiretap. <laughs> that would be that would be quite the experience. Okay, so real quick, I knew when I brought that up, it would uh, it would flirt and go into that direction. All right, so real quick here, my picks moving on in this bracket. So Sweet Sixteen, I have UNC, and against uh, like I've got Kansas in the Sweet Sixteen. I really want to take New Mexico State. I'm gonna let the podcasters uh, listeners in on this. Uh, I could very well, if you check the site by Monday afternoon, I have been given permission if I want to make one or two changes because in the, in the immediacy of this, like I I never hate myself more than when I am doing this bracket. I might just try and take a chance with New Mexico State and put him in. But for now, I've got UNC versus Kansas. Obviously, that means Roy Williams going up against his former team, and then I've got Houston against Wofford down below. I will ride the Houston Cougars to the Elite Eight, having them knock off Mike Young's Wofford Terriers, giving them their first loss since before Christmas. I've got UNC moving on. And then here's where I'm just bathing in self-loathing and that I, I get to the end of the Midwest, and I look at my bracket, and I see, all right, Michigan State's the only two. And then I've got Gonzaga, Virginia, North Carolina. I've got three ones. I hate this. because and the reason why I hate this is that the twos and even the threes, and I would even submit some of the fours. Virginia Tech now at full strength with Justin Robinson. Florida State has its best ACC season ever. Kansas State wins the Big 12. But particularly the first two I mentioned, won't even bring in Kansas and its just general pedigree. They've got really good shots to make the Final Four. And yet, idiot that I am, I've got three ones and a two. I can't stand this, but I don't know if I can talk myself out of fixing my bracket any other way. Whatever. Ultimately, make your picks, enjoy the games, and let your bracket burn as soon as possible. But I'm going with you. UNC there. I've got uh, Kentucky and North Carolina playing in the Elite Eight, and I went with North. I went with North Carolina as well. And so our final fours. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got uh, real quick before you do final four. You you have Carolina with a revenge win after what we saw Kentucky do to UNC in Chicago at the CBS Sports Classic. Yeah, that don't matter to me. That was a long time ago. Kobe White was a different player then. All right, and then the leaky black factor off you could, could come into play. Oh, by the way, Leaky Black, middle name is Malik. That's where Leaky came from. His grandmother did it. Ah, uh, that's that's the that's that's one of the two stories, but that is actually not the story. That's that's story number two. I will reveal the secret before the season's over. That is that, that's the story. That's the that's it's the not story. It's not. Well, that's one of them, but but that's not actually the reason why he has the name. 
His na- n- middle name is Malik. Grandma called him Leaky. Okay, all right. He's got and and he likes to play with Kobe White's hair. That's also true. That's true. Leaky likes to play with it. All right, final Leaky. four. Leaky likes to play with. That's what he said. That's what he told our friend Jamie Hurtall, Kobe White. She, she said, what do your teammates think about your hair? And his answer was, Leaky likes to play with it. Okay. <laughs> All right. We both have UNC versus Virginia on the right side of the bracket. Tell me we have different picks. I have. Uh, we don't both have UNC, Virginia. I've got UNC, Tennessee. Oh, that's right. You've got Tennessee. We've got – well, okay, so the the final fours, um, I have Duke, you have Michigan State. I have Gonzaga, you have Gonzaga. Yeah. I have yeah. Tennessee, you have Virginia. I have North Carolina, you have North Carolina. So we agree on two. Uh, we disagree on the other two, but we all have – we both have um, nothing but ones or twos in our final four. Okay. Um... And let me tell you why. Because that's the way it should be. The, the 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 best teams in college basketball this season have been the best teams for a while. Like I I went back and pulled up just randomly the week thirteen AP poll while we were talking here. So that's six weeks ago, which is a pretty good chunk of season. Six weeks ago, here's what the top of the AP poll looked like: Tennessee, Duke, Virginia, Gonzaga, Michigan, Michigan State, Kentucky, Nevada, North Carolina. The teams that were good then are the ones that are still good now. You can accept Nevada has, has you could say, slipped. But those are the teams. I mean, those are the teams. Ten- this was six weeks ago. Tennessee was ranked number one in the country. They're a two seed right now. Would have been a one seed with a win on Sunday. Duke was ranked number two in the country. They're a one seed now. Virginia was number three in the country. They're a one seed now. Gonzaga was number four in the country. They're a one seed now. Michigan was number five in the country. They're a two seed now. Michigan State, sixth in the country. They're a two seed now. Kentucky, seventh in the country. They're a two seed now. North Carolina, ninth in the country. They're a one seed now. The teams that the, These teams that are good they, the teams that are seeded, ones and twos right now, have been the best teams in college basketball in some orders for a long time. There's really no reason to start betting against them now. That, exactly, except the tournament's going to tournament. Okay, it's just going. Yeah, I mean, that's it's, what's yeah, awesome. Right. I mean, it's just it is going to be like that. We have not touched on because we it's, we just don't know. There are going to be things that happen that no one predicts, whether it's a ridiculous team making the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight or things that unfold. It happens every year. It's why this thing is so much fun. Everything you just said is accurate. It's why it's smart to kind of lean on that if you do these bracket pools and all that. But tournament is going to tournament, man, and it is going to it is going to do things that shock us in ways we couldn't have even predicted and that's why I love it. So, we get to the final four again. I will have a Duke against Gonzaga matchup on the left side of the bracket. You will have a Michigan State against Gonzaga matchup on the left side of the bracket. Um we don't have to spend a lot of time on this. Duke and Gonzaga, my final four, uh, they played out in Maui in November. I was there. Uh, Gonzaga wins the game um, when R.J. Barrett is unable to score in the final seconds. It's a nice game from Rui Hachimura. Uh, that remains the only time this season full-strength Duke has lost. And though I would never rule out Gonzaga beating Duke because I hadn't seen it once with my own eyes. I did pick Duke to beat Gonzaga and play in the final game of the regular season up in Minneapolis on the second Monday in April. 
Cool. Uh, get to my pick real quick. The final four in general, when we talked about all those top teams, a lot of intriguing potential matchups, not just in the final four, or rematches, I should say, not just in the final four, but in the title game, whether that would be a Duke versus a Virginia, a Duke versus a North Carolina, a Duke versus a Kentucky, um, a Gonzaga versus Duke in the final four. You got a lot of stuff there, and there, and there are some even more combinations there. I think slash hope that either on either side of the national semifinal or in the title game, we get a really good rematch of some sorts. Heck, maybe Tennessee and Kentucky meet in the national semifinals. We could have that. There's a there's a pining for that as well. Um, we'll wait and see. I have got Virginia advancing against North Carolina, which it beat North Carolina at UNC in the only game those two teams met this season. I happen to be there in Chapel Hill. Impressive game. Fun game. Uh, UVA won. And then on the left side, I will take... Gonzaga to defeat Michigan State. And what I have here, and I actually went GP with this. I normally don't do this, but uh, I went with the, t the top two teams uh, across the metrics. I've got Gonzaga and Virginia facing off in the national championship game, um, and I will take the Virginia Cavaliers to write a fantastic story from 16 over a 1 to responding and just waltzing down from the top right of the bracket through the South region into the national semifinals, winning the national championship. I will take Tony Bennett and his healthy Virginia Cavaliers to be your 2019 national champions. That would, I think, be the best story. Um, you know, you take, I mean, it's a movie, and the opening shot is the closing minutes of the first 16 over one game we've ever seen. And how you go from that to being a national champion in the very next year, um, it, it would be an all-timer. Um, obviously something that would be unprecedented because uh, they're the only one to ever lose to a 16. So we, we have no precedent for what happens after that. But Virginia is obviously good enough to win the national championship. I know people will um, laugh at it if you pick them. Um, you know, on a very surface level. Ah, Virginia, yeah, you better hope they don't run into UMBC, blah, blah, blah. Uh, this team's really good. Tony is excellent. Um, I think they've got multiple NBA players. Um, they, they, All of the advanced stuff, you know, suggests that they are one of the small handful of teams that can really cut nets in Minneapolis. I don't think there's anything crazy about that pick at all. Even though I don't have Virginia even in the Final Four, there's nothing crazy about Virginia winning a national championship. It is not what I have, though. I've got Duke um, beating Gonzaga, like I mentioned, uh, in that side of the bracket. And then I've got North Carolina beating Tennessee. So for the first time ever huh. in NCAA tournament history, I got Duke and Carolina playing. Uh. Like that, that seems impossible, given that these are two programs that are always in the NCAA tournament. They've never actually met in the NCAA tournament. And so I've got a meeting in the national championship game uh, in Minneapolis. And so it's Duke Carolina four, um, you know, for, for, for a national championship, either Roy's fourth or K's sixth. And I've got Duke winning the national championship. Uh, I won't try to um, uh, uh, explain it any other way than the obvious way. They're the most talented team in the country. When healthy, they're the best team in the country. If you didn't think that or you forgot it at some point, you were probably reminded of it um, over these past three days. I've got Duke um, winning a national championship. Zion Williamson is your most outstanding player. And then he, you know, puts together some sort of, you know, incredible resume where he is uh, the ACC player of the year. 
the National Player of the Year, the Final Fourth Most Outstanding Player, a national champion, and then the number one pick in the 2019 NBA Draft. All right, cool. Well, it's getting late here. I feel like we got uh, listen. We're gonna have to do another one of these podcasts before the first round starts. So we'll uh, trust me. There will not be a shortage of storylines. We can stuff we can get to, but let's not let's not give everything away here. So I feel like we've uh, we've we've done our fill. More than seventy minutes worth of podcast. Hope the listeners loved it. The full CBS March Madness theme song off the top there. Anything you want to wrap up before uh, before we talk again? And what I am uh, presuming will be less than forty eight hours. Who else gives you 70 minutes of podcast in the middle of the night after they've been talking on TV for like five hours each? I know. Huh? And, then just, and then promises we'll be back and do it two more times this week. We got you covered. We got, we got you covered with this. Seriously, the CBS Sports HQ stuff, though, no joke. Like it's, we, are, we are trying to give you as much different bracket content, picks, General college hoops talk as you possibly could want. So for the uh, for the listeners who are relatively new to the podcast, thanks for coming and seeing us and listening to us. Stick around. I think you'll like what we've got here. And we are going three times a week throughout the rest of the season. We've only just begun with all this. And uh, man, oh, man, oh, man, Monday. It, it's, it's early Monday morning now. And before we know it, first of all, the tournament starts technically on Tuesday. But before we know it, Thursday is going to be here. But before we get there, don't worry. we got another beefy pod still coming for you. And Matt's not joking about CBS Sports HQ. Um, we will be on it nonstop over the next um, three days. Um, there are shows in the morning, shows in the middle of the day, shows late afternoon, shows at night. And then we got a big show on Thursday morning that I will also be a part of, even though I will also be in CBS Sports uh, Network studios until like 2 in the morning. So uh, that's like 17-hour days, 18-hour days. But, hey, you only live once. Probably not too long if you keep living like this, but you do only live once, right? I suppose so. And I'll be at I'll be at Hartford. I'll t- I'll I'll say the Hartford stuff a little bit for the next spot, but I will be at Hartford for that Thursday Saturday uh, first round. Looks to be a, a pretty interesting one. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M. F. He's the legend. Shouts to Larnell. And remember, please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. You guys have been awesome. I, I read the comments. I notice the ratings and reviews going up, 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 and so. Um, I know I tell you this uh, every episode, but I, I really do uh, appreciate it. I ask you for uh, a subscription and uh, five stars and nice comments. And sometimes you guys even surprise me with the, the nice comment. It's like you really, I say it only takes a minute, meaning you can get it done in a minute. But some of you have clearly taken more time than that to be thoughtful and, um, and, and kind. And so thank you. Um, if you've already done that, if you haven't, uh, please go do that. It helps us out a lot. And either way, Uh, We're going to talk to you again on Wednesday. Till then, fill your brackets out. Have a good time and take care.